Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Tuesday, March 28th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has agreed to delay his controversial judicial reforms, and German Leopard tanks are on their way to Ukraine. Plus, a U.S. lender has agreed to buy the failed Silicon Valley Bank. But what do investors think of the deal? They don't only like the deal they're getting, they love the deal they're getting. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. In Israel, mass protests yesterday threatened to shut the country down. And Israel's Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, caved. He agreed to postpone his highly controversial judicial reforms. To find out more, I'm joined by the FT's Jerusalem correspondent, James Schotter. Hey, James. Hi. So, James, is it surprising that Netanyahu backed down? I think that by Monday, it was no longer that much of a surprise. There have been protests building against the judicial overhaul proposed by Netanyahu's government since it was unveiled in January. But what really brought things to a head in the last couple of days was Netanyahu's decision on Sunday night to sack his defense minister after he criticized the overhaul and warned that the polarization it was causing was a threat to national security. There were also on uh, Monday morning uh, announcements by various Israeli uh, organizations that they were going to go on strike. And that relatively quickly began to threaten to paralyze the, the economy. You know, the international airport shut down, banks closed, uh, shopping mall chains closed. And I think at that point, the pressure on the government was just so enormous that you know, even though clearly there are members in the government who are totally committed to this reform, they had to find a way to take the hits to each out of the situation. And, and so they decided to postpone the reforms for a month or so at least. James, can you remind us why these protests got so big? Why were people so upset? I think there's there's two reasons. One is the nature of the reforms themselves, which people worry will leave Israeli governments in sort of a position of almost untrammeled power. I mean, Israel already has sort of constitutional setup where there are very, very few checks on, on, on a government with a majority in parliament. You know, there's no second chamber that can block or review legislation. There's no president with a veto. There's no written constitution. Most laws can be passed with a simple majority. And the government reforms would basically weaken the, the Supreme Court, which is one of the few serious checks. But then I think the second is that people are worried about what governments might do with this power. And this is where you know, the protests have become not just an expression of concerns about this particular judicial reform, but part of a, really a, a battle for the soul of Israel. And I think that is the sort of thing that really brought these protests to this, you know, this level that we haven't seen in Israel for a decade and you know, possibly in the country's modern history. So, James, I guess the hope is that these protests will cool off now that uh, the reforms have been postponed. But w- what happens next? I think one big question is how this plays out now in Netanyahu's coalition. There are individuals in the coalition who are totally committed to these reforms. And part of the reason it took him all day to announce these concessions on Monday was that he was locked in very difficult discussions with his coalition partners. So So the extent to which the coalition holds together 
uh, you know, despite this concession, uh, is one key question. The other question is, in what forms the reform, the, you know, the, the overhaul comes back you know, in, a, in a month's time? Because although Netanyahu said on Monday that he was postponing the overhaul, he also un- emphasised that it would be passed in some form or another. And the question is whether the government can find a form of uh, changes that's acceptable to the country as a whole, or whether they come back with something that just triggers another round of protests in you know, a month's time. James Schotter is in Jerusalem covering the protests in Israel. Thanks, James. Thanks very much. The first group of German Leopard 2 tanks has arrived in Ukraine. The delivery is a symbolic and a practical boost for Kyiv, which is battling to push back Russian forces. These Leopard tanks aren't the first Western tanks to reach Ukraine, but they're significant because it took months of negotiations and lots of international pressure for Germany to agree to send them. Yesterday, Germany's defense minister told Ukrainians, quote, you can rely on us. And Ukrainian officials said the Leopards would be a significant upgrade to the Soviet-era vehicles they've been relying on. In the U.S., shares in First Citizens Bank shot up more than 50% yesterday. The massive jump followed the announcement that First Citizens would buy the failed Silicon Valley Bank. That's the bank failure that sparked global banking turmoil. To find out more, I'm joined by the FT's U.S. banking correspondent, Stephen Gandell. Hey, Stephen. Hi, thanks for having me with you. So, Stephen, First Citizen Bank investors... It seems like they really like the idea of acquiring Silicon Valley Bank. I mean, like I said, the share price shot up more than 50% yesterday. But why do they like it? Well, they don't only like the deal they're getting. They love the deal they're getting. If they were to just get Silicon Valley without any help, I'm not sure. But the government put in a lot of extras uh, to make this deal happen. Like what? (laughs) Well, one thing is that Silicon Valley had a pretty good loan book, and yet... The government's giving First Citizens a 20% discount to buy those loans. The government's also giving First Citizens about $35 billion in cash. Oh, and also the FDIC is giving them loss sharing, meaning like at some point for every dollar they lose uh, in this transaction, if something gets messed up, the FDIC is going to cover half of that cost. As much as you could feel like, well, these are giveaways, the government wants to give a pretty good deal to this bank. What's the point of driving a hard bargain, saddling a good bank with another bad bank, and then you have an, a bigger bank failure? So First Citizens Bank is getting all this good stuff, as you just mentioned. But um, what about the bad stuff? Is there any? Well, concerned depositors would spark the run on Silicon Valley Bank. It wasn't necessarily bad loans or toxic assets, which is what we saw in the financial crisis, what this was was kind of poor balance sheet management. They didn't have a lot of cash on hand to cover depositors that wanted their money back. They also had put a lot of money into treasuries and uh, mortgage bonds, not things you think are usually risky, but they did so at a time when rates were really high. And in the last year, those rates have come down. And so that cost the bank a lot. So what the FDIC did is they took those bonds that had traded down in price, but are still likely to pay off of the bank's balance sheet, replaced it with cash. So the FDIC is sitting on these bonds that are not bad assets, but 
to anyone who needs the money right now, it will cause losses. Now, the good thing is the FDIC and doesn't need that money, and so it might never have to suffer those losses. So it wasn't just First Citizens Bank shares that, that went up yesterday. A lot of bank shares went up. Is this a sign that people are starting to calm down a bit, that the banking troubles are easing? Yes, and also it signifies that the government's going to do a fair amount to support these deals. You know, on top of the the deal that, as we said, uh, shareholders of First Citizens really liked, there was also talk that the FDIC and the government in general might give some help to some other banks even before they fail. So there's just a general sense that the financial firemen, the regulators that put out these fires, they're on the case. They're uh, looking to spread as much water around to put out the fires that are were burning pretty hot a week or two ago. Stephen Gandell is the FT's U.S. banking correspondent. Thanks, Stephen. Thank you. Saudi Arabia's state oil company has been inking deals to supply China with more crude. Saudi Aramco yesterday agreed to buy 10% of Rongsheng Petrochemical. As part of the deal, the Saudis will supply nearly half a million barrels a day of crude to a Chinese refinery. And the day before that, Saudi Aramco announced a joint venture with two other Chinese companies. They'll build the refinery and petrochemicals complex in China. Both these deals would increase Saudi oil supplies to China, and it's coming as China's buying more discounted crude oil from Russia. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com.